Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. everybody and welcome to another episode of you don't like that with grant napier yes indeed my guest is coming up in just a moment but first i want to tell you that today's podcast is brought to you by new works plumbing of sacramento locally owned new works has a fix for you just go to newworksplumbing.com n-e-w-w-r-x plumbing.com for all of your plumbing needs and repairs and remember they're available 24 7 if you have an emergency in the middle of the night. Again, that's newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X-Plumbing.com. My guest is somebody that I used to have on the radio back in Sacktown, and uh, he has just made an incredible transition from caddy on a PGA Tour to NBC Sports and the Golf Channel from Sacramento. Uh, I can only describe this individual as an absolute natural. It's hard to believe how good he has become already on the national stage. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome John Wood to the podcast. John, how are you? Uh, Grant, I am great. I hope I can live up to that introduction right there. Very nice of you to say. John, when I used to have you on, I used to get so many people going, wow, he's amazing. You need to have him on again. Has brought Was broadcasting always something in the back of your mind? I mean, gosh, you were a caddy. You were, you know, carrying the bag for, you know, some of the best in the world like Matt Kuchar. And now all of a sudden you're on NBC, you know, on a weekly basis doing golf. I mean, how the heck does that happen? You know, about seven years ago, Tommy Roy, the executive producer for, for NBC Golf um, and, and does a lot of other sports as well, um, had an idea to, to try caddies out. He knew Bones and I very well and decided just to, to have us on for a one-week deal, just to see kind of as an experiment. Um, you know, and, and luckily we didn't, uh, we didn't embarrass him. I think we did okay for our first time. And what really shocked me, Grant, was how much I enjoyed it. I was, um, I was looking forward to it. I was very nervous going into that week, but I really enjoyed everything about it, the preparation, trying to get in what you wanted to say in a, in a succinct manner and and being able to, to get those ideas across to the viewers of stuff that they might not know is really going on in those conversations. So I enjoyed it a lot more. Um, and I was still loving caddying. I, I caddied for another five, six, seven years after that. Um, and it just it became time where I was looking to do something new. I was still enjoying caddying. But, um, you know, I, Tommy had said this opportunity would be there if I was interested. 
Um, it got to the point where I, w- I was interested, and um, luckily it worked out, and uh, they had a spot for me right away. All right, crazy question. Do you miss catting at all? I mean, that was such a big part of your life, and now all of a sudden that's in the past. Do you miss it at all? Oh, sure. Yeah, definitely parts of it I miss. I miss the majors for sure. The team events are torture for me because those are my favorites. You know, I love being in those team rooms and hanging out with everybody for the week. But, um, you know, those aspects being in the hunt on Sunday, you know, I I really miss those aspects of it. Uh, But in terms of overall decisions, it was definitely the right move for me. Um, I'm enjoying the heck out of what I'm doing now. And, and, um, you know, I don't work every week. Obviously, CBS has quite a few events. So uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to jump in here and there and and, and fill in and and keep caddying a little bit here and there. But uh, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now. And I would imagine you're not flying a coach to Maui next week, are you? <laughs> well, as a caddy, we used to—I used to have to row over there, but I'm, I'm a little better now. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, they—they no, they, they treat me very well. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. What has been the biggest challenge for you, uh, becoming a broadcaster and being an on-site reporter? Yeah, uh, the biggest challenge for me is—is is trying to figure out what the important thing is to say and how quickly can I get it out there. Um, you know, as a caddy, we're constantly thinking ahead. What's next? What's next? What's next? So as a, as a broadcaster now, I, I'm still doing the same thing, thinking, okay, this is the shot this guy has. When am I going to get it? Or am I going to get it? And if they get it to me, how much time will I have? So getting in my head, okay, here's my 30-second answer. Here's my 15-second answer. And here's my 7-second answer to try and, if I don't have a lot of time, to really get in what I think is the important part of this shot. Rather than just say, you know, 152, this is 9-iron, um, I really would, would rather, that's obvious, that says it on the screen, so I would much rather be able to get into what the discussion was between the caddy and the player, why he's hitting a certain club, um, what he needs to watch out for, you know, on, on the approach shot, something like that. So um, just to, to boil those ideas down quickly into a succinct, uh, uh, you know, display for, the viewer is, is the biggest challenge, but it's a fun challenge as well. I'll tell you what I think is one of your biggest strengths is that you know these golf courses inside out. I mean, your preparation as a caddy, walking a course, knowing all the greens, all the, 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 the grains of the grass. I mean, we can go on and on. You know these courses like the back of your hand because you've had to prepare your golfer and prepare yourself for a tournament year in, year out. And it comes across so well on the TV. I love that aspect of the knowledge you bring. Thanks, Grant. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I you know, obviously I know these courses very well. I've done a lot of homework over the years. Um, and I still, I'm still doing the homework. I'm still going out there on Tuesdays and walking. And what's interesting now about my preparation, before, as you would know, I used to prepare for a golf course. How does Matt Kuchar play this hole? How does Hunter Mahan play this hole? I could care less what the rest of the field was going to do. Now I really have to look at holes for everybody, mm. for short hitters, for long hitters, for, you know, guys who hit it, you know, hit a draw, guys who hit a fade. So it's a lot of fun in terms of, cause I, I don't always know who's going to be playing well. I don't know who I'm going to be covering. So it's a really kind of, uh, my notes have become even more so because then I'll, I'll take notes on how different style players will play different holes. So that, that aspect has been very interesting for me. John, as a fan of the PGA Tour, should I, should I be concerned about the state of the game with the advent of the Live Golf Tour? I don't think so. I think the game is, um, 
you know, they've, they've changed the, the way the PGA tour is going to operate and, and probably at the behest of, 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 you know, what's happened with live and a lot of the star players. Um, but I think it's, you know, I think there's going to be adjustments to this new elevated schedule and the elevated tournament. You know, this is the first shot at it. Like, like the FedEx Cup, you know, no one knew how that was going to work and they adjusted it over the years to get it right. I don't think, you know, how the PGA Tour is going to be right now is going to be like that forever. They're going to make adjustments. But I think as a fan, um, I would love this because now I'm going to watch, you know, 18 to 20 of the best players in the world uh, more than that, play against each other much more often than before. Hmm. And um, I think that's only, it can only be good for the game. And I think, um, in my mind, the tour used to cater a little bit too much for uh, to the middle of the road guys. Nothing against them. The tour is made up of those guys. But the guys who sell tickets and the guys who bring eyeballs to the TV set, that to me is how this transition is going to help the PGA Tour and that they're their voice is going to be heard much stronger. And, um, you know, anybody who complains about it or, or thinks it's better the other way, there's a very simple solution, and it, 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 it happens at every level of golf, and that's play better. If you play great golf, you will be in those elevated events. You're not banned from them. There are easy, there are, this is a clear, death-defined way of how to get into them. So play great golf, and you're going to be in. So um, I, I'm, I'm, I think it's going to be great. John, nobody brought more eyeballs to the game of golf than Tiger Woods. Uh, are we finally there, in your opinion, where we have to just, you know, come to terms with the fact that we are moving on now? I mean, would you be shocked if we see Tiger Woods on a leaderboard on a Sunday again? I won't be shocked because there's too many times in his career that I've kind of said, uh, okay, this might be it. There's, you know, and every time, Miraculously, he has he has come back to do something. Uh, I think he hits the ball and chips and putts on an elite level. Still, I really do. It all comes down to the walking, and he's said it time and time again. It's the walking. It's the walking. Um, and I don't know if what he has can be improved upon with with you know working out or endurance or, or anything like that. But if the walking becomes less painful, um, I think the game is still there for him to compete. And I think he knows at this point, most likely he's not catching Jack. I think, I really think his goal right now is one more tournament to pass Sam Snead on the all-time list if he wins any event. So um, uh, is it likely? I would say no, but I would never, ever, ever count this guy out because he's just shown too many times his mental fortitude is so much stronger than anybody else's. If he wills himself to do something, I just, I think he can do it. Speaking of walking, uh, the first event coming up in two weeks at Kapalua, I mean, the view is as good as it gets anywhere in the world. I mean, I've had the absolute pleasure of playing that course several times, but I was riding in a cart. I mean, how difficult is it to walk that golf course? (laughs) It's the the toughest walk on tour by far. Um, It it used to be awful for caddies. I mean, it's it's still the toughest one on on the tour for caddies, no question. But, you know, when we used to have an off-season, we'd go there you know, after two and a half months off and show up and have to walk those hills. And we'd find out real quickly that uh, we didn't work out enough in the off season, but uh, it is, it is a tough walk. So many of the holes are uphill, um, it, but it's a, uh, it's a great, great place to start. You wouldn't want to start anywhere else, you know, knowing that it's a, it's an elite field. Yeah. You're going to get a little jump start on people and um, you know, it, it is, it, but you're right. It is, it is one of the most brutal walks out there. 
John, when I think of golf coverage on NBC, I think of Roger Maltby uh, and his voice and his presence. He's obviously no longer part of your golf coverage. What's that going to be like for everyone? Boy, it's going to be strange. I mean, he has been a huge part of it for so long. I mean, he's an institution, and um, it's going to be very strange not seeing Rod walk into those rooms and, and have him out on the course because, uh, you know, his voice has been synonymous with the leaders on Sunday um, of, of major championships, of big tournaments. So it is going to be strange. Um, I'm going to miss him and Gary a lot. Gary helped me out a ton um, with preparation and how things, how things, Gary Koch I'm talking about, yep. um, about how to prepare for this job. Um but Roger, Roger, the, the same thing. You know, he showed me so much in a short time, and not necessarily in, in asking questions and going back and forth. How do you do this? How do you do that? But just watching him and listening to him. Um, you know, when I started doing this, I became much more focused on that and listening to how he did things. Not that I want to parrot Roger or be exactly the same, but there's certain ways he he delivered things that I think were were, were great. And um, Roger taught me a lot about. When to when to let when to let the moment go? Hmm. You know, you don't need to say something on every shot, and when it's a big moment, you know, and late on a Sunday at a U.S. Open or something, you know, let the tension build and let it let it go and get it, get what you need to say in there quickly, and then you know, listen to the crowd noise, listen to the golf shot, watch the reaction. I think um, Roger was knew knew really well when to lay out, and and that's I learned a lot from him about that. You know the players, the players know you, but you work and cover a featured group when you're out on the course. Is there dialogue ever between you and the players as you're walking down the fairway and covering holes, oh. or is it always business, 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 and there's no talking going on with you and the players? No, there, we, we talk a lot. Um, you know, as, I know all those guys pretty well. I know all their caddies pretty well. So I think it would be strange if there wasn't any discussion. Um, you know, a lot of what I'm when I'm covering it, I don't get in, you know, I have a cart that drives us around, but I don't get in the cart ever. I just, I, I would rather walk near the players, you know, hopefully pick up on something they're working on or something they're talking about. Um, I won't engage because that, that kind of uh, steps over the line. But if they engage me, then I'm happy to talk and listen to them. And, and, you know, so they're, they're, they're I have a lot of good friends out there, both in caddy and player rank still. So um, if they engage first, uh, definitely talk quite a bit, especially on Thursday and Friday. John, if you could only walk 18 holes of golf the rest of your life, which course would you choose? Oh, man, what a good question. Oh, I can boil it down to three quickly. Okay. After that, I need some help. Okay. Augusta, Augusta, Pebble Beach, and uh, the old course at St. Andrews. I had a chance. Yep. I, I, had a ch I, I can boil it down. Yeah, I had a chance. Go ahead, I had a chance three years ago to go to Scotland with 11 others, and we played nine courses in seven days, and the la you'll get a kick out of this. The last course that we played was the old course at St. Andrews, and I don't have to explain to you what that experience is like, but we, were, we had two teams, a red team and a white team, or a red team and a blue team, and we were playing for something every day, and when we got to... The final round, the ninth round in seven days, we were all even, and we were playing match play. And I will tell you, John, this is hard to believe. There was not a cloud in the sky on the day that we played at St. Andrews. I'm telling you, I have a picture of me standing on the bridge on 18 with the background, and the sky is as blue as anything you've ever seen. But the wind had picked up on the back nine. So I get to 
the 18th, and I'm playing with my partner, and we're all square. And my caddy says to me, I want you to aim towards the first fairway. And the wind at that point had picked up to about 20 or 25 miles per hour. And I'm like, okay, first fairway? He goes, yeah, because I have a tendency to hit, you know, a little bit of a fade. He goes, don't, I want to take the fade out. I want you to aim right over to the first fairway. I hit a very good drive. Uh, My playing partner is down the middle of the fairway, but shorter. So he hits first and he ends up short of the green. I am, I kid you not. I'm 153 yards out from the green, and my caddy, as you well know, you don't you don't tell them what you're going to hit. They just give you your club. He hand, he hands me a yep. five iron, and I go five iron. He goes, yeah, this is playing about between 180 and 185 for you. He goes, trust me. So, John, you got to know me. I then get over the ball, and I'm talking out loud, and I'm saying to myself, "All right, you freaking idiot! This is going to be the most important shot you ever hit in your life. Don't screw it up. Relax. Blah blah blah." This I'm talking out loud, okay? Now, as you well know, John, there are probably 25 or 30 people that are just hanging around the 18th green. All right, so I'm looking there, and I'm trying to visualize. I'm just like, "All right," so I get over the ball, and I hit the shot, and within. Two seconds, I yell out, greatest effing shot of my life. And I hit the ball in the, in the right-hand quadrant of the green. The fans around the green are clapping, okay? I get up there. I get up there, and my caddy goes, now, don't be afraid to hit this a little bit harder than your other shots because it's a little bit slower here. It's in the shade, and just trust me. Anyway, to make a long story short, I missed my birdie putt by about, oh, a foot, foot and a half, and my partner conceded, and I won the hole, and my team won the match. But I'll never forget walking up 18. But, John, think about that. Not a cloud in the sky. Go figure, right? It's it's rare and, and and wonderful, you know. No no matter what kind of weather you get there, you kind of just you take it and go because you know you love those those sunny you know bright days with some wind. Um, but you know if you're out there and it's raining sideways, you kind of go, all right, this is St Andrews, this yep. is Scotland, this is uh, this is going to be just as good of experience. I don't I don't think I'll play as well, but um, you know whatever you get there, you just you embrace it and and move on. I had one of the coolest moments of the year, maybe my career there this year. Um, I was out with Rory the second day on Friday. So I was with him on the first tee. They tee off or going down one and I'm, you know, 20 feet, 30 feet from Rory as he's getting ready to hit, which is exactly when Tiger came up 18. So I'm standing there watching Tiger walk over the bridge, walk, you know, right by Rory and give him a wink and the crowd going, you know, going crazy knowing, you know, is this the last time we're going to see Tiger Mm. at St. Andrews? And I couldn't help it. I took out my phone and just videoed it myself, wow. watched him right, walk past Lori, and uh, you know, quite a moment. So, um, what a scene. yeah, I, it's a uh, it's an historical place. Yeah, just amazing. The other uh, memorable moment that I had over there was on the postage stamp at Royal Troon, and I hit my ball into the coffin bunker, and I get into the bunker, <laughs> and my caddy says. Anywhere on the green's a good shot. He goes, I don't want to tell you too much, but Rory had a nine here the last time the Open was here. And I'm like, what? And he goes, he goes, okay. Like, this is what he tells me before he hit my shot. So what happens? I hit, the, I hit my shot over the green into the other bunker, and my caddy goes, anywhere, just get the ball out however you can, anywhere on the green. And if you can hit it anywhere on the green, it's a great shot. Of all of the shots that I hit, of nine rounds in seven days, it was probably my best shot. I hit the ball within four feet of the flag. My caddy could not believe it, and I made a four on the hole. But I'm telling you, when you stand on that that 
tee box, as you well know, that looks like the easiest freaking hole in the world. I mean, you're thinking it's a sand wedge, and yet uh, you get on the green, and you're like, now I understand why that is such a hard, hard par three. It's the beauty of Lynx golf. It, it is. It is. You look at some shots, and you think there's just nothing, nothing here to worry about. But you know, it's just the way the ball rolls, the way it bounces, the wind. Um, it's just it's it's a totally different style of golf. And if you have, you know, if you're from America and you never really play a true Lynx course, go do it. I mean, put it on your bucket oh. list, even if it's not St Andrews or or Troon, one of the greats. Any of the courses over there to go experience Lynx golf, it's it's a blast. It's a totally different animal. You know, the only course that all of us did not like, and I'll tell you real quickly, we played Turnberry, we played Troon, we played Muirfield, we played Carnoustie, we played the old and the new, we played Kingsbarns. Kingsbarns was all of our favorite. Every single person on our group loved Kingsbarns the best. Every single person on our group hated Carnoustie, and it wasn't windy, it wasn't a bad day. None of us liked Carnoustie, and none of us said that we would go back and play Carnoustie if given the chance. Does that surprise you at all? Uh, no, because it's a mean place. <laughs> I, I, I happen to love it. I think it's, uh, I happen to just, there's so many cool holes there that just, you know, coming down the stretch at a major, it's what you want because there is no, you can't say, okay, I got a hole off here. I got a shot off here. You know, this is, this is uh, one I can relax on because it just, they just don't exist at Carnegie. Every shot is, is huge, especially when you get in a little bit of weather. So it doesn't surprise me at all with that list you gave me, but uh, I've, I love Carnoustie just because of the challenge of it. It was interesting. I did a podcast the other day uh, about collapses in sports, and I used John Vandeveld at the 99, I think it was the 99 Open, and I used the commentary of Peter Alice while Vandeveld was going through everything on the 18th. So when we were there, uh, we obviously weren't playing the championship tees, but I walked back to visualize what he was dealing with. As a caddy, watching that unfold and knowing the history of the Open and particularly that course, did that shock you? His club selection off the tee on 18? Not, I'll tell you, I, I was watching with my buddy Chris Griggs, and um, I, I, I'll never forget this, and you may, may be surprised, but I said to him, as, as Vandeveld standing on the 18th tee, I said, a Frenchman can't win the Open. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, just because of that French-English rivalry. Right, and I was right. just kind of half-joking. So he takes driver out. I didn't have a problem taking driver out, to be honest with you. Um, you know, he'd been hitting it well. And um, the last thing you want to do is, is just change everything because of, of, of your situation. He blew it right. Didn't go in the, in the little burn there, which was great. His next club was the bad one, the right. two-iron, trying yep. to get it up there by the green. Nice. He, had to make, he had to make double, you know, to, to win. And at that point, uh, you know, as a caddy, I would have said, uh, look, I understand you want to get this up by the green, but right now from where you are, you hit sand wedge, sand wedge, and three putt, and you're the open champion. Mm-hmm. That's, it's just, it couldn't be any more simple. So the mistake was, was trying to get up there with a two iron um, because he got a bad break after that. But um, if he doesn't do that, it's just, it's so simple, just uh, hitting two sand wedges and three putting and, and you win. So I thought that was the mistake, the second shot, but it was, it was painful to watch. It really was. Uh, four or five years ago, I had a chance to go to Augusta for the first time on uh, day one on Thursday. So obviously we weren't allowed to take our phones in and take pictures. Uh, again, it was a beautiful day. It was uh, a, a little chilly, but it was sunny. And, there, and that's all I cared about, the beauty of that course. As a caddy, you said that obviously is one of your favorite courses. 
walking Amen Corner and walking on the par 312 and going over the bridge. I mean, is there anything quite like that anywhere in the world for you? No, there really isn't. And I think it's because, you know, we all grew up feeling like we know that course, even if we've never been there, because, you know, you'd seen the back nine year after year after year, and you knew the history and what shots were hit and the great shots, the, the, the awful shots, the disaster. So, you know, walking down, you know, when you're really coming off 10T, you're walking down that hill and you realize what the next two hours and 15 minutes is, is going to entail. Um, and it's just, it's so fun. It's so challenging, especially, you know, if the course is firm and fast with a little bit of wind, it is, you have the least amount of air than any course in the world because you're trying to hit, you know, these iron shots and, and a normal course with a little bit of softness and, um, you know, slower greens, maybe you, you've got a lot of room for air on a five iron, you know, you got to land it within 10 or 15 yards of where you're looking and it's going to be okay. At Augusta, you're sitting there hitting shots like on 15 over water, you know, with a four iron thinking I've got two yards of depth to land this. If I land it any short of that, it's going to roll back in the water. If I land it any long of that, it's going to land on the green and bounce over and who knows how far it's going to go. So that challenge at Augusta, um, when it's, when it's firm and fast, it's, it's just, it's so thrilling and you never have your lump, your uh, lump in your throat more, more than you do at Augusta when the ball's in the air, especially like on 12 and 15, you just, you hit it and you're watching and you think, okay, I think we planned well. I think you get it well. <laughs> Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah. You know, hoping that you don't get a wrong back gust. But uh, there's nothing like it. John, you put Pebble Beach as one of your top three. You did not have Cypress Point. Was that a close three? Where's Cypress Point on your list? I had a chance about 30 years ago to play that course, and I knew that I would never play it again. I didn't care what I shot. I just wanted to see the course, and obviously walking over the road to the 15th and seeing that 15th and 16th is majestic. It's unlike anything I've ever seen before. Where's Cypress Point on your list? Here's the deal and why it's not probably higher on my list. I'm from Northern California. I've never walked Cypress Point. I've never had oh. the opportunity to go around it. Oh, my gosh. I'm shocked by <laughs> so that. I'm shocked, I'm John. I'm sure I would absolutely. Yep, I know. I know. I, uh, I'm i sure it would be up there if I had the chance because it, it sounds well, everything I like well, about well, golf. Well, you know, well, very well, traditional. Now, wait a minute. Not Wait a minute. I'm talking to the great John Wood, who's caddied in the Ryder Cup, who's been to all the majors, all the great courses in the world, and Grant Napier has been on a famed golf course that John Wood hasn't. Are you sure that we're comprehending each other? We are absolutely comprehending. If I ever get the opportunity, I'll come to you for some notes. Because, uh, <laughs> uh, no, I've, I've, admit, you know, I've driven past it a million times, obviously, but I've, I've you know, when it was back... Um, when it wasn't the AT&T, when it was the clam bake, obviously I yep. was in the rotation that got taken out before I started caddying. So, um, I, I never, uh, never had the, never had the opportunity to go around it. Wow. That is absolutely unfreaking believable, <laughs> man. All right. So all of the great courses that you have been on and we'll leave out Cypress point, because to me, the par three 15th and the par three 16th, uh, they've got to be two of the great, great holes in the world. Uh, what are your favorite three or four holes? And again, you're so blessed to walk on so many of these great tracks. Yeah, no question. Uh, 12 at Augusta, it, 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 to me, it's the most amazing hole ever built because it's just 
it doesn't make any sense that it's that difficult. Honestly, you're looking at it and these guys, you know, used to be kind of sevens and eights. Now it's, you know, they hit it so far, it's kind of nines and wedges, but it's still so difficult. That green is so shallow. The wind is so tricky. You've just got to, you know, think every, you've got to think through the shot completely, get all that right. And then your player has to execute everything you've talked about in terms of line, distance, trajectory, and just to pull it off on a windy day, is, it's, it's, a, it's a thrilling shot. So I think 12 at Augusta would definitely be on my list. Um, let's see. That's a really good question. Riviera, gosh, pick a hole at Riviera. I don't think that 10 at Riviera, I think, is, is the greatest short par four in the world. You know, these guys, you know, a lot of them can reach with three woods and still walking away with, with fives and sixes. That's just how tough that hole is. It's so well designed. Um, I'm a big fan of short holes. I, I just think, you know, so so often these days, you know, the, everybody's going longer and longer and longer. And when you go longer, you know, I'll say you got a long par three. Well, for the pros, that just tells you it's going to be threes and fours all day. That's, I don't care if it's 260 yards long. You're going to see threes and fours and that's it. But when you've got these little awesome holes like 10 at Riviera, 12 at Augusta, you're going to see twos and you're going to see Sixes, yep. you know, I love that volatility and, and 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 holes. You know, I think the finish at Sawgrass, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, three of the best finishing holes in golf because you can be, you can have a six shot lead and not feel comfortable at all. You can be a, have a five shot deficit on sixteen T and go, I've got a great chance to win this. I'm right in this because I can eagle this hole. You know, who knows what the leaders are going to do on the next two? So um, I love that volatility of. of you hit the shots, you got a chance to make birdie, but if you don't, you're going to struggle to make par. So, um, you know, I, I, off the top of my head, those are some of my favorites. John, I want to get back to caddying for just a moment because when we watch television, we watch golf, the vast majority of us aren't thinking about the caddies. We're watching the players play golf. What was the best part about your job and what was the worst part? Oh, definitely, you know, being in the hunt. Um, you know, if, if you're a golfer or any kind of athlete, you know, you just, that's what you caddy for. That's what you, you know, if you're a player, no matter what, that's what you want to do is get into the hunt on Sunday and, and get that adrenaline going and know what it means to you and your player and, and the world of golf. Um, that, and it, it, it was always thrilling to me when, when you got to be in the hunt. That and the, the team events, when, um, you know, President's Cup, Ryder Cup, when you got to spend an entire week with, you know, 11 of your, your, your caddy friends, 12 of the best players in the world, captains and assistants bouncing ideas off each other, you know, Hey, Hey, I, I think on this hole, this is what we're going to do. Did you look at this? And, um, Hey, how do you, what, what are you guys thinking of doing on this hole? And just, you know, you don't get that opportunity. So those of those events, I miss the most, um, to be bluntly honest with you, I don't miss practice rounds in Pro-Am. <laughs> oh, boy, I bet. Those are going to be so arduous. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and um, nothing against them. I think, I, you know, I, I know they're necessary, and uh, you got to play practice rounds with Daddy. you got to learn what's going on. And, and Pro-Am's, you know, a necessary part, too. But uh, after 24 years, I, I don't miss those too much. <laughs> Man, I bet. Wow, incredible stories. Uh I, I was just wondering about that aspect of your your job, but as a caddy, the travel can be brutal too, right? You're not staying at the Four Seasons and flying first class. It's you know, it, 
caddying, it, it, I was very, very lucky in my caddy career to work for a lot of great players. And um, they all treated me well and they played well. So it's um, caddying used to be, I think when I started, was much more difficult in terms of that. Um, nowadays, if you've got, you know, a top 75, 100 player in the world, um, you're not staying at, at any any bad places. It's it's pretty nice. I mean, the money's you can kind of do what you want to do. The money's so good, you can spend it if you want, and stay a little nicer, or you can you can stay cheaper and uh, and save it. But um, you know, with, with how much money is in the game now, um, you know, like I said, if you're in the top hundred in the world, you are uh, you're staying in some pretty good places as well. John, finally, there was an event this past year, and I can't remember which one it was, but Jordan Spieth, I think, was in the bunker and. They had the audio, and you could hear the dialogue between the caddy and Jordan, and the caddy basically was telling him to hit a different club than he was going to hit, and Jordan thought about it, and then he hit the shot that he wanted to, which obviously he should. He's the one that's hitting it. When you knew that your player, whether it was, you know, as you said, Hunter or whatever the case may be, whoever you were caddying for, and you knew that that golfer that you were working for was absolutely hitting the wrong shot, the wrong club. How would the dialogue work in that? I would, my kind of, my tact was, was twofold. One, um, I would present to him the, the pros and cons. If you pull this off, then, you know, you are going to make this or this. Um, if you don't pull it off, you're bringing this into play. Um, so I would kind of just present those options. And then I would say, I would try and convince, if I would to convince him to hit my shot, I would try and convince him about how good he was at the next shot. Mm. Like, look, we don't need to take this chance. You are hitting your wedges so well, there's no need to gamble here. You hit this out, get in the fairway, wedge up to the green. There's no way you're going to have anything more than a 10-footer for a birdie. Um, and, and if that failed, I just kept talking until they agreed with me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't give him a chance to, to come back and argue. I just keep talking and keep talking and keep talking if I was totally against it. Um, at a certain point though, if, if they're insistent on it, you gotta, you gotta back off and let them go. They're hitting the shot. Bottom line, they're hitting the shot and you've told them, you, you know, you've told them what your opinion is and what you think of it. If they still want to go with theirs, that's their feel, you know, and, and they're the player. And honestly, in my career, I've had both happen. You know, I've, I've really been against the shot. Um, they held to it and pulled it off or, you know, they didn't pull it off. So it's happened. It happens both ways. You just gotta say your piece. Uh, make sure he knows your position and what you think his position is in the tournament. And, you know, it's got to be his decision in the end. So um, that's that's kind of what I did. I remember a tournament of years ago where we could hear your conversation with Hunter Mahan and you actually talked him out of hitting a shot. He was in a bad situation and it was very interesting. But I got to tell you, your stories are phenomenal. Uh, and I mean this, and I've told you this, you are an absolute natural at what you do. You are so good at what you do, and I'm not, uh, I'm not. I'm only saying this because I speak the truth. It it blew me away when I started watching your coverage. I was like, wait a minute, this guy sounds like he's been doing this for his entire life. You are great at what you do. I am so thrilled for your success, and it is so awesome catching up with you. Merry Christmas, and thank you so much, Grant. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been great catching up as well. And uh, if I uh, ever get the the invite to Cyprus, I will let you know, and we'll talk <laughs> over what I need to do. <laughs> I love it. Take care, buddy. Merry Christmas. 
Before we get to Crowd Ultra, I want to tell you that we're also brought to you by Fosters and Paws, a group of passionate animal advocates, and they work hard to save lives. They primarily focus on those vulnerable dogs in shelters. They pull a lot of pregnant moms, nursing moms, bottle puppies, dogs with medical needs, and dogs in danger of being euthanized. They look at every family and every animal as individuals, and they also believe that teaching children at a young age how to treat animals with respect will have lifelong benefits. They hope that everyone that wants an animal can have one in their life, and they're looking for adopters. They're looking for donors and fosters. Just go to fostersandpaws.org. That's fostersandpaws.org. If you want to send me a question, it's very easy. You just go to crowdultra.com, and maybe I'll answer your question on next week's podcast. Charlie wants to know, am I a fan of how revenue sharing works in the MLB, NBA, and uh, NFL? Well, really, Charlie, uh, revenue sharing primarily works in MLB more so than in the NFL. I mean, they split the pie one thirty-second. All right, the pie split 32 ways because it's all TV money. So that doesn't apply. NBA luxury tax, yes, but it's really baseball. And I think without revenue sharing, uh, a lot of baseball teams would go out of business. Reed asks, are you surprised that the Phoenix Suns sold for so much? Not really. You know, the valuation of teams continue to go up annually. $4 billion that also includes the uh, Phoenix Mercury. So I'm, I'm not shocked. It's a lot of money, though, Reed. There's no question about that. Chase wants to know which Christmas Day game are you most excited for? I'm actually very disappointed in the Christmas Day lineup. Uh, and for me, it's all NFL, not basketball. And the three games are duds this year. But I would watch, of, of all the three games, it would be Green Bay uh, at Miami just because of the uh, quarterback position. But, I mean, the night game, Tampa and Arizona, I mean, that's a bad football game. So they got a bad break this year, Chase. They really did. NBA, eh, I won't watch the NBA on Christmas Day. Adam wants to know, who do you think is the best team in the AFC right now? I think it's the Cincinnati Bengals who won it all in the AFC last year. I think right now the Bengals are as good as anybody. Mike asks, are there any members of the Kings that should make the Western Conference All-Star team? Mike, if DeMontis Sabonis is not on the Western Conference All-Star team, they ought to cancel the game, period. Sam wants to know, would Mike Bibby in his prime be a starter in today's NBA? Are you kidding, Sam? Like, yes. Yes, he would start for a lot of teams in the NBA today. Mike Bibby was a hell of a player, Sam. He was a hell of a player. Blake wants to know, how would you guess the rest of the Bulls season turns out? Without making a move, Blake, I don't see very, very positive. I mean, they're so up and down. They're so Jekyll and Hyde. And I think for the most part, uh, has been very disapp- uh, disappointing. Alex wants to know, am I surprised uh, the Mets have spent so much this offseason? You know, they have an owner who's got unbelievably deep pockets, doesn't mind spending the tax, which is going to be about $100 million this year. He said he was going to go out and spend money. So I guess the answer to that question is no. I'm not surprised. David wants to know, is this one of the most stacked NBA Hall of Fame classes? David, I haven't really analyzed that. I will, and I'll get back to you on that. I haven't even really uh, checked it out. All right? Andrew wants to know, would you bet on the Jaguars winning the AFC South? I wouldn't bet against them, Andrew. You know, again, beating the Jets last night, 
and Ryan Tannehill's out for the year for Tennessee, I would say, yeah, I could see the Jaguars winning the division. Kevin wants to know, do I like going to casinos and gambling or on anything? I do, Kevin. I like playing three-card poker, and I like playing blackjack, but I don't gamble a lot, and I uh, very small denominations. I, I, don't, I don't play uh, big money, but I do enjoy three-card poker uh, and blackjack. Uh, Ryan wants to know, am I an NFL Sunday ticket subscriber? Ryan, I am. I have to be for my job, and being a Giants fan and being out of market, it's the only way I can watch the games, Ryan. So, yeah, absolutely. And then Josh wants to know if Justin Fields should be an NFL MVP candidate. No. I mean, he's had a hell of a year, but I can't put him as a uh, MVP candidate on a team that's not going to the playoffs. Again, if you want to check me out with a question and maybe I'll answer it, just go to CrowdUltra.com. CrowdUltra.com. It's time for Brent. Hey, I want to tell you about Zoom 180, a revolutionary new flashlight that is in production right now, and it will be available before you know it. When you see this flashlight for the first time, you're going to go, Napes, how on earth do I get on the list to get one of those? I'll tell you very shortly what you need to do to get on the list to get a Zoom 180 flashlight. Uh, You've never seen anything like it, trust me. And all I'll say to that is happy freaking New Year because you're going to have a Zoom 180 flashlight and you're going to be raving about it. Let me get this straight. Tim Bontemps, ESPN, originally gave the Kings a grade of a D- minus when they made the deal to acquire DeMontis Sabonis from the Indiana Pacers. He actually went on TV yesterday, ESPN, and upgraded the trade from a D-minus to a C-plus, called it a disaster for the Kings. Are you kidding me? A disaster for the Kings? The trade is single-handedly turned the franchise around into what looks like a sure playoff team. Sabonis is having close to an MVP type of a season, and you're going to give the Kings a C-plus for that? Hey, Tim, good job on telling the sports world and the NBA fans all over the country that you have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Tim Bontemps, Merry Christmas. And that's my rant for today. Hey, that's my podcast for today. I hope you have a fabulous, fabulous holiday weekend. Merry Christmas and so long, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.